Hello and welcome to the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, a plot is hatched in the bayou and a high-stakes game of cards is taking place in Malifaux. But success at the game of bullet takes much more than just luck. Stay tuned for a story of gambling, secrets, and a whole lot of drinking, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Big B's Liquor and Guns. At Big B's, we believe that liquor and guns get along like a house on fire. If you're not sure what to get, just ask a member of our sales staff. We'll be more than happy to recommend the perfect pairing. The new Screaming Vulture six-chamber revolver goes great with a couple of bottles of 50-proof bathtub gin. And when you finish the gin, you can use the bottles for target practice. It's truly a match made in heaven. Bullet by Graham Stevenson Well, grunted Summerteeth Jones, it was late, and he had better things to do than attend secret councils in the depths of the bayou when a Lacroix was involved. Ophelia Lacroix batted her eyelids and gave him a warm smile. Summer, it's so nice to see you too. She clapped her hands together with melodrama. Why, it's just been an age. Summer shifted his feet and scowled. His green hide was thick enough to ensure that sarcasm tended not to penetrate, unless it was wrapped around a brick, but there was always the faintest suspicion that he was the butt of some kind of gag beyond his ken. Ain't been so long, he said. Saw you a week past, thar. Ophelia seemed awfully pleased at his response and laughed without apparent cause, most likely some foolish she-gremlin thing. Nice to see a friendly face, ain't it? agreed Zoraida. He was sitting on a stump a short ways off. Summer's scowl deepened when both females shared another inscrutable laugh. Seems to me like you both had to knock on the head laughing for no reason like that, he muttered mostly to himself. Had he been in less feminine company, he would probably have gone on to offer a free knock on the head for anyone that wanted one, but his pappy had learned him not to lift a hand to women folks, less than there was a good reason for it. That and the fact that Zoraida made him nervous. Gathering up his wounded dignity, Summer rested his blunderbuss on his shoulder and turned about to push his way back through the ring of thorny swamp bramble. Seems like I'm wasting my time coming out here in the middle of the night, he said over his shoulder. You two gals go on ahead and tell each other some more jokes. I'm going back to bed. Oh, sit yourself down, Summer, and listen up, Zoraida said with an impatient gesture. I ain't in the habit of going to the trouble of setting up a secret meeting for nothing. With a final scowl, Summer slouched back to the center of the clearing and chose himself the stump furthest from the other two. There was some elaborate fussing as he made sure he was comfortable, got his blunderbuss propped up the way he liked, 
and fished about for quite a time in a top pocket for some chewing tobacco that he knew fine well he kept inside his waistcoat. Zoraida and Ophelia waited patiently while he went through his pantomime, accepting his petty vengeance with good graces and small smiles. Finally, when Summer had fussed himself to a standstill, he looked up, his lower lip jutting like a green cliff face around a wad of tobacco. Well, he barked. Things is moving, Summer Jones, Zoraida said, leaning forward so that her face all but vanished in the shadow of her cowl. Only her eyes were visible, as bright and keen as razors. Big wheels is turning, and if we ain't careful, we're gonna be left behind. Summer chewed contemplatively, and then spat. That makes about as much sense to me as a hog fart. When I said well, what I meant was, why ain't I in bed? The writer cackled and squeezed her knees with long arthritic fingers. Plain talking. Always like that about you, Jones. Let me spell it out for you a little clearer. Remember that war I told you about? The one I said was coming? Summer nodded once, his huge top hat tilting. I do. Well, those high and mighty fools in Malifaux was busy preparing for it. Busy as ants, they is. Guild men and guild machines working, working, working. Them three kingdoms folk, too. The Ten Thunders. You heard of them? The hat tilted a second time. Yup. They busy, too. Even the Neverborn. Them cold devils out there in the desert. Even they busy. Building up to something. These old bones can't feel it. Everybody busy, Jones. Everybody except us. Summer chewed and waited. He knew Zoraida had more. Some of these pies I got fingers in, she continued. I've been keeping my ear to the ground, and I heard some whispers on what's coming. But it ain't the whispers that worry me, but the silence. I can't be everywhere at once, and I get the feeling something slipped past me. That's where you come in. That's so? You're gonna find out what I missed, and where they hiding it. Summer tried to rewind the conversation in his head to catch what he had evidently missed, which is no mean feat when you've been awake for two days straight drinking moonshine. Huh? What y'all talking about? Who's hiding what? The man is in Steamfitters Union, said Ophelia. Boiler boys, Summer curled his lip with disdain. You want me to go talk to boiler boys? Well, it ain't exactly the talking I need you for. Scrapping, huh? Summer bowled his big green fists. Want me to knock it out of him? Don't recommend that course, Zoraida said with a shake of her head, grinning. The feller I got in mind might be more than even you can handle. Summer jutted out his lower jaw, which, enhanced by the water of tobacco, was an impressive sight. I can lick anybody, he said stubbornly, one hand tied behind my back. Oh, you'll lick em all right, the hag agreed, but ain't gonna be no fist that puts em on their back. Some ride his blunderbuss and wondered how he was supposed to question a boiler boy once he'd shot him dead. Liquor, Zoraida said. 
You got a fearsome tolerance for it, so I heard. Summer puffed out his chest. You heard right. Ain't nobody can drink me under the table. And that's the plan, Ophelia cuts in. Get a fella drunk, and he's like to start shooting his mouth off. Why, it'd only take a couple of pointed questions, and you'd like to get that fella talking about anything you wanted. You want me to go drinking with some boiler boy? Summer wrinkled his brow. Even I know that's going to get funny looks. And normally you'd be right, said Ophelia. We don't mix with the big folks. Everybody knows that. That's right, agreed Zoraida. It'd take something special to get by your kin and big folks drinking at the same table. You heard a bullet, asked Ophelia, grinning. Summer was acquainted with the game and had played it extensively in his youth. It was just the sort of crazy, half-assed, machismo, death-wish nonsense for a young and reckless gremlin to waste his time, money, and liver on. He'd played it last about a year ago, and still had a couple of scars in the hangover from it. Sure, I played Bullet before. Passing good at it, too. The seconds passed while Summer chewed and the other two watched him grinning. The penny finally dropped with an audible clunk. Wait, you want me to play Bullet with his boiler boy and get answers once he's good and wasted? I always said you was sharp as a knife, Jones, cackled Zoraida, leaning back on her stump. I hear there's a game being organized in the quarantine zone night after tomorrow. Big games, it happens. Our fella's gonna be at it. The boiler boy, Summer inquired. This fella ain't no boiler boy, Jones, she corrected. Even drunk, them arcanists is a closed-mouthed bunch, and they wouldn't tell you squat no matter how much you pour down their necks. No. The way to get information is to find someone who ain't so closely affiliated. Someone who don't hold the cause in his heart. Zoraida was grinning again. Someone who's got more interest in material things, if you know what I mean. Summer watched the hag rubbing thumb and forefinger together in the universal sign of loose currency. A hired gun? I think he prefers the term freelance operative, she said dryly. He did some work for the Union a little ways back. Chaperoned something big through the breach for him. And now they got it tucked away someplace. I need you to find out where. Zoraida heaved a sizable bag of coin across the clearing to Summer's feet. That'll give you the coin to buy your way into the game. And what's left can be used to look like you're there to play. If you lose it, though, there ain't no more for a second try. Summer poked the bag with his split boot. If and this fella's a merc, why don't y'all just buy the information and save me this skullduggery? Wouldn't work, Zoraida said. Man in that line of work lives by his reputation. Ain't nobody gonna trust him with a job again if he sells out in the first flash of coin. A little drunken bragging at a private card game, though. Who's gonna know? Summer sniffed. Seems a lot of work for one secret. I got a good idea what everybody else's play is gonna be, Zoraida said. Everybody but the Arcanists. They went to a whole lot of trouble to keep something quiet, and that makes me nervous. Thought you'd be more worried about the guild. A horrible smile crawled across Zoraida's wrinkled face. Oh no, she whispered. You don't need to worry none about them. 
I got something real special planned for them. Summer felt intensely uncomfortable and busied himself with testing the weight of the coin bag to break the moment. Whatever ghastly plans the rider had in store for the guild, he was just glad he wasn't part of it. A thought suddenly popped into his head. Hey, now, uh, I need a second for bullet. I need a backup. Firearms and alcohol seldom made good bedfellows, and it wasn't uncommon for one or more casualties during the course of a game. As few are ever keen to chance death for low stakes, sizable fortunes, even entire family estates, were routinely wagered in a game of bullet, and it was considered prudent for each player to provide a backup man to step in, should their associate prove too incapacitated or too dead to secure their winnings. A second was usually a trustworthy individual, preferably with a steady hand and a stomach like an iron cauldron. Their presence made the game go faster when it came to setting up for another hand. As Summer recalled, there was always a lot of broken glass and bullets rattling around. He gazed shrewdly at his companions, and seriously doubted that either of them had what it took to be a reliable second. Hey, neither of you got to stand to last a minute in a game of bullet, he declared. All the good seconds is dead, too. Ain't no way I can find somebody I can trust to back me up in time. Well, ain't it just plumb lucky I found one for ya, said Zoraida. The thorny bramble barrier was ripped unceremoniously aside by a huge wooden hand, with all the pomp of a servant parting a velvet curtain to admit their master. A bent old figure came into the clearing, and made its way slowly to the remaining free stump, moving with a crumbly dignity possessed solely by the extremely old and the extremely powerful. Summer lurched to his feet, and then dropped reverentially to one knee, removing his hat as he bowed his cannonball head. Brewmaster, he whispered reverentially. Ophelia slid off her stump and performed a lithe curtsy. Zoraida, as befitted her station, stayed where she was, but she nodded in greeting. Howdy, Jones, my boy, said the ancient gremlin as he creaked gradually into a sitting position on the stump while the whiskey golem fussed around behind him. How's the still coming? Summer had displayed an unhealthy interest in liquor since he was old enough to lift a cup to his mouth, an interest that had soon spread to its manufacture as well as consumption. While he maintained a quiet pride in his creations from that wheezing old still he kept up by his shack, he understood that his alcoholic offerings were tawdry baubles compared to the fiery magnificence of the brewmaster's own concoctions. Pretty good, your excellency, he said, fumbling for the hip flask thrust into his belt. I've been putting a couple of bits of rusty iron in with the vegetable peelings, like you said. The brewmaster accepted the offered flask, sniffed it, took a mouthful. He sloshed it from one cheek to the other for a spell, and then swallowed, all with an expression of collected concentration on his face. Well, that ain't too bad, youngster, he said at length. Ain't too bad at all. You're starting to get what I like to call character. Summer blushed and fumbled with his hat. That was high praise indeed from the likes of the brewmaster. Powerful kind of you to say so, brewmaster, he said. Now, grinned the old gremlin, reaching into the folds of his tunic and removing a small clay jug with a cork stopper. How about you take a snort of my latest? Summer took the jug with solemn occasion, and pulled the cork with a soft punk. 
A strong chemical odour drifted past his nose and took a layer of skin with it. He raised it to his lips and swallowed with as much ceremony as he could muster. Despite the smell, it was the smoothest thing he'd ever tasted. I calls it Porch Sunday Snore, the brewmaster was saying, while Summer's eyes slitted with bliss. A nice mellow flavor with hints of crack root and weirdwood. Just the sort of shine to be enjoyed on your rocker, watching the sun go down on the mountain. Slack a mouthful of beautiful, Summer croaked, quite moved by the experience. Maybe the three of y'all would like to be left alone for a while, giggled Ophelia. Don't be round on me with none of your sass, snapped Summer, snapping the cork home with unnecessary force, the intimate moment ruined. Ain't nothing should come between a feller and his shine. Ophelia rolled her eyes but held her peace. We was just discussing how you was going to second Jones here, and that game of bullet I was telling you about, Zoraida said clearly trying to get things back on track. That's right, nodded the brewmaster. Don't play the game or two in my time. Summer could barely believe his ears. It was an honor to be in the brewmaster's presence, never mind to travel with him to Malifaux and have him as a second. I ain't worthy of the honor, brewmaster, he said, wondering whether he should prostrate himself in the dirt. And you can stole that hogwash for a start, Summerteeth Jones, the brewmaster said sharply pointing a crooked green finger. Give me my title and my propers is my due, but I don't want no brown nosing. Show me some backbone, not the top of your head. I will, brewmaster. Summer got to his feet and puffed out his chest. I'll do right by you, your excellency. It's all I ask, said the old gremlin, his momentary annoyance gone. Besides, it'll be good to stretch these old legs and see the city again been an age since I was in Malifaux. Of course, you'll have to travel in disguise, said Zoraida, eyeing the huge whiskey golem looming like a wooden shadow against the tree line. Won't be no problem, the brewmaster said. I'll maybe take a handful of the moon, Shinobi. But they won't be seen unless I want them to. Good enough. Zoraida got to her feet, signaling the end of the council. The feller in the know is called Von Schill. He runs a pack of mercenaries called the Fry Corps. He might have heard of them. Summer had indeed heard of them. In fact, he was quite confident you'd struggle to find anyone on this side of the breach who hadn't. Von Schill in particular had a reputation as a grizzled, hard-bitten old professional. The only real debate over his character was on which was tighter, his purse strings or his mouth. Summer supposed he'd soon find out. The city was dark and crusted in frost. The weather had changed suddenly only a day or so before, with the sudden dispersal of thick winter clouds. The cavernous starry sky above had swallowed every trace of warmth, leaving the city's stone and brick spidery with ice. Summer wasn't used to such blistering cold. In the bayou, even in the depths of winter there was a cushion of warm air that seeped from all the layers of rotting matter in the swamp. The temperature rarely dropped below freezing and he couldn't remember the last time he'd seen ice. He had rapidly come to the conclusion that these sorts of conditions were better traversed by someone with two shoes. His one busted boot was doing its best, but the drooping dog-tongue sole was scant protection against the stinging cold stone. As for his right foot, he had entirely lost sensation in it, and was sure that it had frozen solid 
He was getting into the habit of glancing down every now and then to make sure it hadn't snapped off a ways back and he'd been walking on a stump. The brewmaster, while three times Summer's age, was faring far better. The pair of thick furry boots that enveloped him from the knee down and the four cloaks were contributing factors certainly. But there was a hail vitality about the old gremlin that Summer found hard to match. His rickety old legs ought not to have been able to carry him so far without complaint, but carry him they did, with his staff working overtime and clinking its dangling collection of bottles. Perhaps his secret lay in the collection of clay jugs he carried with him. Well, carried for him by his apprentice Wesley, in a massive sack that clunked with every step. Every so often the brewmaster would murmur something, and Wesley would stop to fish out the requested receptacle. The ancient gremlin would take a hearty slug, shake his ears and be off again with renewed vigour. His mind was equally inexhaustible, and he spent much of his time firing questions at Wesley on the properties of various ingredients and brewing techniques. Some are tuned in eagerly, anxious to glean some crumb of brewing knowledge that might improve his own efforts. Slopewort, the brewmaster would bark over his shoulder. Ah, you only find it on the shoulders of the mountain, Wesley would recite brow furrowed. Short brown stem, purple flower. You curse the stem and pulpit for adding to the mixture. Gives a strong mini flavor to complement the metallic content. The brewmaster grunted in what might have been agreement, then... Red finger barley. Only a few farmsteads grow it way south. Recognize it with distinctive red barley husk. You burn it black and crush the powder. Helps to cut acid and enhance its smoky flavors. This mobile quiz tailed away when they reached the depths of the city. Summer had a fair idea of where they were headed. But in the dark and cold, one alleyway or mouldering hulk of a building looked much like another, and they got turned around a couple of times. Whenever they faltered, a moonshine obi reeled out of the darkness to point the way. They were exceptionally good at appearing out of nowhere. One rolled off a nearby balcony in such a boneless manner that Summer thought he was dead, but the rubbery gremlin somehow landed on his feet, pointed out the direction they wanted wordlessly, and then staggered off in the opposite direction. Another time, a big, mean-looking figure came out of a black doorway in an unmistakably threatening manner, but it was enveloped before he'd taken two strides by a cloud of flailing green fists and feet. Where that half-dozen Moonshinobi had come from when the alley had been all but deserted a second before, Summer just couldn't figure out. Finally, they emerged from the warren of narrow lanes to a wide, soot-blackened thoroughfare, with what would once have been a magnificent building standing directly opposite. It had the air of theatricality and austerity about it, and might have once been a council chamber or other equally grand municipal building. Now it was a ruin, but there was enough black marble still standing to give an impression of what it might have looked like when this part of the city had still been inhabited. Some thoughtful soul had rigged a single orange lantern on a long iron pole over the main doorway, and a cluster of figures had collected in this weak pool of light. Evening, some were offered as they drew close. The figures turned, and Summer found he was addressing masked men, about a dozen of them in heavy wool cloaks and hoods, and identical white plaster masks, and all of them were armed, cutlasses, pistols, daggers, cudgels, each man was tooled up for some sort of trouble. "'What have y'all come as?' grunted Summer, as he inspected the array of villainy. "'Blow me, it's the Yule Elf,' said one. "'The Yule Elf ain't green,' said another." Tallest and slimmer stepped forward, gloved hands resting on a sizable belt buckle. What do you want? Someone was surprised to hear the voice was female. 
We's here for the show, he said. My second of me came up from the bayou. Heard there was a big game of bullet going down tonight. Invite only, said the woman. Her tone is expressionless as her masked face. Summer grinned, showing his ramshackle teeth, and jingled the heavy bag. Got it right here. The eyes behind the mask weighed up the bag, and evidently arrived at an acceptable number, because she nodded to her associates, and they melted away like smoke, opening a passage up a few marble stairs to a bronze door beneath a huge cantilevered balcony. Up close, the badly dented bronze was patchy with black and green rot, but it was unlocked, and they went inside. Summer was not really surprised to find a gang of heavies lingering outside the venue of a bullet game. Due mostly to the illegality of the pastime, it could be difficult to find a location where the game could be played without interruption. Tavern and club owners were no use. The last thing they wanted was a gang of wealthy armed drunkards descending on them, not to mention the dead bodies and bullet holes come the morning. The game had become the almost exclusive domain of the criminal fraternity, where one organization or another would sponsor a game i.e. provide a discreet venue and enough muscle to ensure the players were not disturbed, their winnings were protected, and any bodies were cleaned up with no questions asked. All this was provided for a modest percentage of the evening's take. It was an arrangement that suited everybody involved. There were more lanterns inside, throwing just enough light to hint at the size and grandeur of the interior without showing up its disrepair. The effect was impressive. Summer did a fair amount of rubbernecking as he climbed another staircase behind the brewmaster and Wesley, seeing shadowy halls on both sides, and towering statues that were only vaguely humanoid, occupying recesses at the head of the staircase. Their shuffling and clanking sounded brittle and harsh in the mausoleum-like interior, at least until they followed the lantern trail deeper into the belly of the structure, and arrived in a circular chamber that turned out to be a hollow marble cylinder reaching all the way to the roof. Pillars were spaced around the circumference of the room, a dozen paces apart, and they stretched up close to a hundred feet to the remnants of a stained glass dome. Less than half a dozen panes were still intact, and piercing stars glittered through the gaps. A circular marble table, half a dozen feet across and over a foot thick, squatted in the middle of the room. More dull lanterns had been hung in here, but in greater profusion, so that there was sufficient light to see by. Someone had possessed the foresight to provide a drinks cabinet off to one side that held dozens and dozens of stacked shot glasses, as well as a few other niceties, like a bar towel. At the far side was a long, low bench. There were half a dozen other figures in the room, standing or sitting around the table and muttering in low voices. At their entrance, all eyes turned to regard the newcomers. "'How do, boys?' Summer said as he swaggered to the table." which came halfway up to his chest. Mighty fine evening for a game of bullet. What in the world are you? inquired a cultured voice from the far end of the table. Summer took a long look at the speaker. Aristocracy for certain. Some lord or duchy or something of that ilk, with a fine silk waistcoat and a billowing lace shirt. The clothes were well filled, and the face atop the ornate pearl-laced collar was bloated and ruddy. It was obvious this fellow enjoyed the finer things of life, fortified wines and rich food, as the purplish rash across his nose and cheeks testified. His fingers, as plump and uniform as bunches of sausages, and probably about as skilled, rested neatly beside one another on the tabletop. His second, 
A spindly, hawkish man with a black curly wig and a long overcoat was standing at his shoulder, cleaning a very fine-looking pearl-handled revolver with silver engraving on the barrel. He too carried that discoloration of excess indulgence, but looked nowhere near as far along the road as his colleague. There was also a sense of ruthless efficiency about him, like he wouldn't shy away from a bit of low work with a knife if there was a bag of coins in it for his trouble. The plump waistcoat fellow was watching Summer with big, watery blue eyes and just the slightest confusion on his face when the brewmaster and Wesley came up behind him. Oh, I say, said Waistcoat, there's more of them. I heard there was a game happening tonight, Summer said, touching the brim of his hat as other figures around the table began to take note. Thought I'd try my luck. He's one of them Bayou Gremlins, sir, came the second looking down the barrel of the exquisite pistol to check it was clean. Don't recall ever seeing one in Malifaux before. Indeed, said Waistcoat with a giggle. You're a funny little fellow, aren't you? Normally, Summer would have clambered onto the table and given the insolent toff a mouthful of his remaining boot in answer, but he was here on a mission. He could sense that sparking off a brawl probably wasn't the best way to ingratiate himself with his new companions, so instead he drew his revolver and threw it on the table with a clunk. It was a huge, ugly piece of iron, starkly contrasting the delicate weapon being cleaned, but the implication was clear. Waistcoat's expression darkened, and he was about to speak again when the brewmaster slid up alongside Summer and got in first. Strange enough, where we come from, Summer here is regarded as quite a big fellow, he said with a papery chuckle. Summer felt a tug at his belt, as the old gremlin lobbed a huge coin bag onto the table with a very loud chunk. I hope you'll forgive my companion here if his manners is a bit rusty. We don't get out in polite society all that much. Waistcoat's watery eyes fixed on the huge bag, and Summer could almost hear the wheels squeaking around in his head as he estimated the wealth. There was a brief struggle of wills, but in the end his greed overpowered his revulsion, and an entirely false smile drew his lips apart like sodden curtains. Well then, welcome, friends. This here's Summer Jones, and I'm the brewmaster, the ancient gremlin said. Are you indeed? I am Lord Peter de Guillermo, and this is my second, Barnaby Crumb. He made the vaguest gesture over his shoulder, to which his man did not respond, still cleaning fastidiously. My esteemed colleagues across the table are Dr. Everett Sharp and his second, Arthur Timeswell. Summer regarded the reed-thin man with excruciatingly perfect facial hair in the form of a beard and mustaches. He wore an expensive tweed suit and white cotton gloves, and his hair was slicked down in a center parting as exact and symmetrical as the rest of him. Sitting at his elbow was a more robust character in starched shirt and braces, with an easy-going smile on his face and an artfully tussled mop of blonde hair. Between them on the table sat a slim, rather effeminate-looking pistol that was barely a twenty-five caliber. The gremlin was unimpressed. It looked like a stiff breeze would blow the doctor over, and his second had hands as soft as something dead and bloated that had bobbed to the surface of a swamp. He sucked at the tobacco wad in his lip and spat with feeling. And you will of course know Mr. Von Schill of the Freikorps, Lord Peter continued, without any acknowledgement of the brown spurt across the floor, and his second, Mr. Kruger. 
Summer grinned darkly as he looked at the two men sitting across the table from him. Both were leathery from the sun, and calluses were evident on the heavy, knuckled hands they rested on the table. To Von Schill's right lay a grey metal revolver, unadorned and functional-looking, but obviously well-maintained and used regularly, if the worn handgrips were any indication. Everything about them spelled danger. Von Schill himself was wearing a rumpled shirt, with the sleeves rolled up to mid-forearms, chewing on a fat cigar and watching Summer with sharp eyes from behind a screen of pale smoke. Summer noted the heavy jaw and muscular arms and shoulders, remembering the rider's warning about this one being more than even he could handle. Summer chewed slowly, and wondered if he'd get the chance to find out. The plan was to get information from this man, and Summer supposed he ought to work on making some kind of inroad into a token friendship. Evening, he said. Von Schill nodded very slightly. You're a long way from the bayou, friend. Ain't that the truth, agreed Summer, casting another disgusted look in the direction of the immaculate aloof doctor. As a matter of fact, continued Von Schill, leaning forward on his elbows and removing his cigar with two fingers, I don't think I've ever seen one of your kind in the city before. Must be a special occasion to get you all the way out here. Equal parts curiosity and suspicion swirled in the mercenary's gaze. We ain't so different to you, Summer reasoned. I like to taste the gold as much as the next fella. Take a drink, too, when I can get one. Seems I'm in the right place for both. That you are. Von Schill still looked suspicious, but Summer had an idea that having survived this long without catching a knife between the shoulders probably meant that the mercenary was a cautious man. Summer didn't view that as an issue. There was going to be serious liquor consumed before this night was over. Liquor made men a lot of things, but cautious wasn't one of them. As Summer was climbing into a chair to get a better view of the table, he saw the brewmaster pull Wesley aside and hiss in his ear. You best clear on out of here for now, Wesley. Leave the sack. Wait for us outside and... The brewmaster slipped his apprentice an unmarked jug. Them mass fellas outside might get thirsty with all that waiting. Why don't you share this around? It'll make the night go faster. Wesley grinned and vanished. Gentlemen, Lord Peter said, sweeping up a deck of cards and shuffling them with practiced ease. We'll be playing six-card bullet this evening. Seconds match players on penalties and stand in on incapacitation. Opening bets are 500, pistol bets 100. Hand bids incremental. Bet limits open to table discretion. Agreed? There were nods and murmurs from the other players. Very good. Seconds to your stations, please. While the four players began to pile their wagers into manageable stacks on the table, the seconds collected armfuls of shot glasses and carried them around behind each player. Bandoliers of bullets were produced and coiled nearby for easy reach, and a variety of curious bottles and jugs were stacked protectively in corners or under the table. At the right hand of each of the four players sat a shot glass and an unloaded revolver. To their left was a sizable stack of silver and gold coins. In the doctor's pile he had several of neatly folded wads of scrip, and it looked as though Von Schill had a number of soul stones among his stacks. The largest pile by far was at Lord Peter's elbow. Finally, when all seemed ready, Peter chapped the card deck gently on the marble table. Are we ready, gentlemen? There was a chorus of nods. Then we begin. Opening bets of five hundred.
That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of Bullet on Tales of Malifaux.